0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Mumwell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Dr. Catherine Tobin, founder of Healthiest Baby, to the show. Dr. Catherine is a pediatrician with more than 33 years' experience, and I will go out on a limb and bet that you've seen her content across Instagram, supporting parents with all things babies and toddlers. I've invited Dr. Catherine on the show today to help us understand the myths around toddlers. Are the twos really that terrible or do toddlers get a bad rap? In this episode, we talk about what we can factor into the reasons why toddlers behave the way that they do, the needs that might be underneath some of the behaviors. And we also talk about ways to avoid the power struggles and some of the other common challenges that parents often bring up in the toddler phase. We address things like potty training and navigating tantrums as well as how to set realistic expectations during this time that are developmentally appropriate for the age and stage that our child is in. I've known Dr. Catherine in the Instagram world for quite some time, and I was so excited to sit down with her and have this chat. Let's hear this week's episode with Dr. Catherine of Healthiest Baby. For many of us, the end of maternity leave comes far too soon. For others, we yearn to regain some sense of normalcy. But what all of us have in common is that the transition back into work is a complex time. Not only are we juggling the emotional weight of leaving our babies for the first time, we're also swarmed with mental labor like researching childcare options, touring daycares, and planning for how to provide formula or breast milk. It can feel so overwhelming that we end up missing out on our last precious moments of maternity leave. Instead of being present, we're caught up in all the to-dos. That's why I created a mini course to help called deciding on childcare after maternity leave. In this seven lesson mini course, I walk you through the transition to childcare every step of the way. We'll cover the pros and cons of different childcare options, how to decide what's best for your family, action steps to prepare for the transition, the feeding process for daycare, how to create a backup care plan for those inevitable sick days and more. The course is full of practical takeaways, done-for-you research and prep, and personalized exercises to create your child care plan. It's designed to take the mental load of transitioning to child care off your plate so you can enjoy the end of your leave. And because I know how hard it can be to find time, each of the lessons are less than 10 minutes long and easily digestible so you can learn at your own pace. To learn more, head to momwell.com shop. That's momwell.com shop. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So, join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I feel like we've known each other in these Instagram streets for a couple of years now. That's right. And I'm just so excited to be here with you. I guess virtually in person so thank you for joining us and thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled too. Yeah, I like your platform has just exploded over the past couple of years. Like congratulations on surpassing a million followers. That's such thank you. Such a feat. Yeah,
1: I agree. I was very surprised how much it took off, but I guess I was touching on things that are important and missing in other places.
0: Yeah, this is just an aside. The fact that you've managed to do it without having to show your face a whole lot. (laughs) I'm a little jealous of that. I got to admit because I love creating. I love my platform and my community. But sometimes I just want to like be in my PJs and not be on camera, you know. So like hats off to you for serving parents and creating this community while also it seems like you've maintained some of your own privacy and independence in the process. So hats off to you for that.
1: Not sure that's the right way to go, but it's just what I'm comfortable with.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's certainly working for you. Yeah. So you are also a Toronto area native, a, a pediatrician. I'm so curious how your platform got started. How how did you enter the Instagram space? So
1: happened in a few different ways. Probably the most important reason was in the office, it's really busy and the office goes really quickly. And at the end of the day, I always feel like the one thing that's missing from my appointments with patients is being able to talk about behavioral problems and developmental problems and prevention. Mm. And so when I started Instagram, it was for my patient population. I started it that time. I called it the mini medical school for moms.
0: Hmm. And
1: I was just really talking to my patients. But it seemed to take off on its own and grew beyond that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that there's few parenting pages out there from different perspectives. You've yes. got like therapists who have mental health platforms and then pediatricians and things. And I feel like the ones who do it well really grow and thrive because it's such a pain point. We enter parenthood and it's just like a free-for-all of not knowing what the heck to do. Exactly. So there's a lot of comfort in communities like yours.
1: Plus in the office, you know, the sick kids always sort of bump the other issues. And so you spend all your time talking about the cough or the fever or the medication. And then parents don't get that other very important part of their child's care that uh, I really feel is missing and and did miss and do
0: miss. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how it is in the Toronto area or, you know, across the U.S. for some of the listeners, but in our region, in our area, pediatricians are really hard to come by. Yeah, yeah. So it is sort of the more complex needs that get yes. to be on the roster of a pediatrician. And so well baby visits or more, uh, let's say the like common parenting challenges don't get that sort of face time with a pediatrician in the way that maybe parents might like. So I think that's another great piece of your platform and the courses and things that you create is that they get that even without being one of your patients.
1: That was the intention is to fill that gap, which I hope I'm doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you've got some I say different niches or specialties. You talk about a lot of different topics from like infants through to kind of 18 months toddlers and preschoolers. But tell me about like, let's just get real about toddlerhood for a minute, because I have had three toddlers go through the stage, you know, and inevitably people warn you like, oh, watch out for those terrible twos. And tell me about that. Like, are we misunderstanding toddlers? What's going on here? I.
1: Really feel that we're misunderstanding toddlers. And I think it's an incredibly exciting time and a wonderful time in a child's life. But it, that's not to say it's easy, but it is important. And I think that when we call it the terrible twos or approach it that way, we're really setting ourselves up to frame behaviors as terrible or difficult, whereas they're really just toddlers acting their age.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: so I'm on a mission to change that.
0: What is it about toddlerhood that you hear from parents as being so taxing or difficult? Like, what is it that makes it so uniquely kind of wild for parents to navigate? Well,
1: let's face it. Toddlers are different little creatures. <laughs> They're not babies. Mm-hmm. They're not adults. They're not even kids. Kids. They look like kids, but they don't yet think like kids. Mm. And so their behavior is behaviors most people have never seen until they've had a toddler. And unfortunately, we frame them as terrible behaviors, but they're very normal and important behaviors and not really terrible at all. However, reframing them really helps. Like starting to understand toddlers really helps so that you respond to the problems differently differently. I like to explain this to my patients. I do this little scenario where I talk about a, you know, when a newborn makes the tiniest little peep, we go running to pick them up and comfort them. They wake up five times in the night. We'll do it every time and we don't get angry at them or punish them. But when a baby starts crawling and getting mobile and walking, the whole dynamic changes. And that's where we start you know, yelling and getting angry and expecting them to listen, which of course they do need to listen. I'm not talking about that. Mm -hmm. But toddlers are really just big babies. And I think that we misinterpret
0: their behavior Mm -hmm. and would be better to think of them as a big baby. So this is just a curious question from my perspective. When we're talking toddler, what age group are we defining? Are we talking like 18 months to three years or... Yeah,
1: traditionally you would say a year to three years, but I find most of the topics I cover or talk about are really true up until almost six years of age.
0: Hmm. -hmm. Oh my gosh. Just even having this conversation before even diving into some of the behaviors makes me think about my boys. And like, these are the years I found personally when the kids were young around 18 months or so to be the hardest. I feel Mm -hmm. like 12 to 18 months because The kids were mobile and into everything, but they lacked, like, a rationale or a reasonable understanding to, like, hey, don't walk by the street, kind of take that direction. So I found it to just be, like, an extremely busy, busy time. Well,
1: toddlers have so much energy as well and, you know, some kids more than others. But it's not just emotionally difficult, it's physically difficult because some kids do not stop. And lots of parents think, oh, my goodness, my child has ADD or an attention problem or there's something wrong with them. But they by nature are just very busy.
0: And curious. And curious. Oh my gosh, my boy's dumping the shampoo. Like by the time you've got three, three and under, like I'm nursing and I look over and one of my kids is dumping a whole bottle of shampoo on the couch. And I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) but out of just sheer curiosity, not not out of any like mischief, you know, to be, I was just doing his thing, thinking this is a fun activity to do.
1: Three under three is going to be challenging. That's for (laughs) sure. I had three under four, but... I have four kids, but three of them were under the age of four at one time, and that was a handful.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was quite a wild ride. It was also when they were starting to get their language in, and that Mm -hmm. came differently for each of the boys. So I found that one of my boys, his understanding of what he wanted to say came in before his ability to actually get the words out. So he had some big feelings about that and about not feeling understood or heard because he knew so much what he wanted to say or wanted to communicate. And if we weren't understanding him, he had a really, really hard time with that. We started to see some big like meltdowns and tantrums start to fly around that mm, 18 months to two years time. It's so
1: understandable when you think of it, how you're discussing it. Like, can you imagine not being able to express your feelings, how difficult that would be?
0: Yeah, like knowing so badly what you want to say, but others around you are like, what? What is it? What do you want? Mm-hmm. Right? The yellow
1: cup, the red cup.
0: Yeah. So is it the tantrums? Like, Talk to me about some of the things that people notice or struggle with, because I do think that there is this, the preferences, I guess, there, there are these preferences that start to emerge during this time. And I feel like they can be kind of sticky brain too, like kids <laughs> get really stuck on on what those preferences should be.
1: Yes. Well, I think that's a nice way of of saying that toddlers can be very stubborn, which is a negative label. I would say passionate or persistent, but certainly tantrums are a big issue for a lot of families until they start to reframe them and see them as they're healthy. They don't have to try and stop them. They're going to go away on their own as kids develop their speech. And I find when you reframe them in those regards, people feel much more comfortable and learn to ride the tantrum Mm. without intervening it in a way that actually can aggravate it. Mm -hmm. I usually describe tantrums as a dance of two people. It's not just, you know, a solo dance because how you interact around the tantrum really influences the tantrum.
0: Go to zocdoc.com/momwell and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's z-o-c-d-o-c.com/momwell. Zocdoc.com/momwell. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health microbiomes and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. And would you distinguish, let's say a toddler tantrum from, I distinguish it as like a meltdown versus a tantrum, yes. and maybe that's not the most appropriate way, but because I had two neurotypical children who tantrum, had a little bit of sticky brain, might've taken us five or 10 minutes and we'd move through it. And then I had a neurodivergent or like ADHD son who the tantrums became 45 minute meltdowns and like the world halted until we worked it through. So I think I would say there's maybe like a continuum of what is more than norm and average and then more extreme cases, would you say?
1: Well, up to 45 minutes would be the upper end of uh, what you can expect with a tantrum. Yeah. But what you also expect is that they disappear as kids develop their speech and get a little bit older. Okay. And everybody's different. Temperament really plays a huge role in tantrums. Like some kids are just so easygoing and have a little blip and others can have the full-blown cry your heart out for 45 minutes. And both are normal.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. So both sit within the normal range. I would say from a mom or like mom support perspective, both maybe not equally impact the parents, yes. right? Like when we think about parenting challenging temperaments, I was reading some research recently when we were doing some content on this that like children with challenging temperaments, tend to rate lower satisfaction in their parenting experience. And I mean, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, it can get exhausting having a very persistent or overly reactive child. Yeah.
1: Like, it's one thing to say, oh, this is normal. The other thing is to live through it.
0: Right, right. Let's face it, it's very tough. Mm Hmm. What other myths get attributed to toddlers during this time? So we've got that, you know, maybe they're sort of these terrible twos, like they're intentionally misbehaving, sort of a myth that we've yeah. touched on here a little bit. What other types of things do we hear? I would
1: take that one step further and say that misbehavior in a toddler year is a myth. Mm. Certainly kids misbehave when they get older, but toddlers don't yet know right or wrong in terms of their behavior. They're learning it, and that's what we're teaching them. But I would go so far as to say that their misbehavior is really just behavior behavior. In a curious way. And so we need to move away from punishing them for what I call them messy moments or tricky moments rather than misbehavior. Mm-hmm. And again, I think by reframing them, we can approach them in a much more calm attitude and work through it and teach them as opposed to punish and yell at them.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm having a little light bulb moment here. Can we lean into this idea of misbehaving for a second because, When we hear the word misbehave, to me it implies that there is some like conscious choice to make a decision against Mm -hmm. what we know to be right. Yes. Right? I agree. Yeah, like and I think about that as in, I don't know, maybe when when we're a teenager we know we should be home by a certain time but we choose to stay out and hang out longer and things. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is it's more out of maybe dysregulation of their emotions or it's more out of curiosity about how this shampoo would look all over the couch than it is about actually intending
1: to misbehave. Like pouring that shampoo out was probably not to drive you crazy. You know, more what's going to happen if I pour this out? Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that we think of it as misbehavior and then punish for it Mm. as opposed to, and I'm sure you actually dealt with it differently, but the concern is that we think of things as punishment and then punish instead of teach.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I actually have a video. I, I got a good chuckle out of it at the time in the you've got to be kidding me kind of way. But I have a video to this day I'm like slapping all the shampoo across the couch. <laughs> um, okay. What about other, any other myths that are persistent?
1: There's a lot of myths that like we could look at the myths and potty training and okay. the thought that we have to train a child to use the potty
0: Okay, as opposed
1: to when you think of how a child learns to walk, we don't teach them how to walk. We don't reward them every step they take. And the same thing goes with potty training. Kids learn through the right environment, setting things up, So it inspires them to use the potty and we support them, but we don't need to teach them because there's an element of control and pressure that causes problems when we try and teach potty training.
0: Mm. This is bringing up all kinds of narratives I've seen in the like celebrity environments of people like instead of using diapers, like teaching their babies to avoid on potties or something? I don't know. I've I've been seeing this like trend.
1: Yeah, there's a whole movement. Yeah. Yes. I, I have a few patients that have their kids using a potty like nine months old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying is like there are sort of natural readiness cues or abilities that evolve? I'm saying if you literally think of how a child learns to
1: walk which is we create spaces where they can move up to the couch, pull themselves up, start to take steps, trial and error. Yeah. So in the same way, if you, you know, have the potty out, you have the right attitude, you help them when you see, okay, it looks like they're about to be ready. They're doing that little dance and invite them to use the potty. Talk about the potty when you use the toilet. But what we don't need to do is take them to the chair, tell them to sit down, tell them they have to go pee or poop you know, we can develop much more confidence in their ability to learn to use the potty with the right motivation and the right environment. Mm, mm -hmm. And I've added in this one other step, which is I've really discovered there's such a thing as pre-potty training and the whole notion of needing to wait till your child is ready is partly true, but there's lots of things you can do to help the process before they even show you signs of readiness. That makes it so much easier once they are ready.
0: Okay. Interesting. And those are like conversational or what types of things?
1: Both. You can teach things like the right words. You can talk about pee and poop to make them comfortable about it. You can show them when you're going to the bathroom, oh, this, I feel like I need to pee. Let's go take a trip to the bathroom. You want to come? So that when they've heard that over and over and over for months, by the time you pull out the potty and invite them to use it, it's not a new concept. It's not mm-hmm. something that they're more likely to rebel against because of the change. It's already old news.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I've got three boys, and I feel like you know how we are with our first, where like you <laughs> want to do everything like according to some sort of yeah script or however. Yeah. And so we had this whole like three or four day program mapped out and like all this, however, took the time off and rolled up the rug and did all these things. And then by the time I got to my second and third, I was like, eh, like they'll figure it out. We'll wing yeah. it.
1: Do you even remember? Like when I think of my kids, I can't even remember them potty training. It went, it was so easy.
0: My second decided to potty train himself. Like he yeah. decided, like he would drop his diaper. And then decided to just start peeing on the potty because it was around at that point because his brother had had one. And he saw his brother, you know, using the toilet in the potty. Yeah, it's great motivation. Yeah, And so he may have even skipped the potty part altogether and just like went to the toilet. But he was still pretty little. He was around two, which like I'm pretty flexible with the boys. And as long as, you know, they're comfortable and we get it done by like three, three and a half school, whatever. Like I'm pretty flex now with that but he decided like sort of pre when i would have mm-hmm. o- like opened the idea oh but boy did we have trouble with poop then after that cuz the pee he got down the pee he was comfortable with yes. but anytime he would withhold poop or have like any you know hard poop challenges yes. that became really difficult for him
1: such a big problem oh it's that's a why, big problem yeah that's why i'm really very Firmly behind a no pressure approach. I see kids with constipation every single day in my office. And a lot of it is related to potty training, but not all of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess like he had one, maybe hard poop one day or something that just put him off of it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a biggie. And he would get so upset by it and withhold poop for a long time. And we work with our pediatrician and she got him on like a stool softener and we let him have his diaper for his poops. Like there was no, no pressure on him. We just wanted him to be pooping. Like that was yes. the concern. And, you know, eventually he came around, but he kind of is one to do things in his own way anyhow. But yeah. And then come my third, I honestly don't even remember. Yeah. He probably just learned to pee on a tree outside with his
1: brother. Well, <laughs> like, <I don't> <laughs> siblings really help. to the competitiveness between siblings has a positive side such as this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I can see how potty training, as you said, could be um, like a prime ground for power struggles, right? It sounds like. Well, especially because it's
1: misinterpreted. Like often parents don't realize that it's a power struggle as opposed to their being difficult or refusing. Like they don't realize that the pressure is actually causing the reaction as opposed to, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, that we're partly creating the problem by how we approach it.
0: Okay. Yeah. How about another myth for toddlers that you see frequently?
1: I think expectations. We could say, um, you know, when kids are little, we know all the milestones, you know, when to expect them to sit and to crawl and to walk. But somehow as they get a little bit older, we stop being aware of when they should share and when they develop emotional control or impulse control. And that causes a lot of issues. So I'd say, I guess that's not really a myth, but I would say unrealistic expectations of toddlers Mm -hmm. perhaps is the myth that we think that they can do more than they can do or we expect them to do more adult-like things or big kid things than they can do as young kids.
0: I can see that especially with my oldest who had a lot of language come in pretty early on. Could really string together some pretty cohesive, you know, Mm -hmm. words and statements and even observations or things about his own feelings. Just quite a mature little guy. And so, if there were things that came up or power struggles or meltdowns or big, big feelings, you do lose sight of the fact that they're just little and they don't have the not brain capacity, but brain development, like that regulatory piece for those big emotions yet. Mm -hmm. But Talking to them. I don't know. I guess we can easily fall into assuming that they should.
1: Especially things like sharing. Like, you know, a lot of families expect little kids to share with the baby or with their friends, and they're just developmentally not understanding the concept yet. It's not that they're bad or selfish or, you know, going to be problems, it's that they don't grasp it yet.
0: Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes, and we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All the Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo Rage 20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com rage and save with code Rage 20. That's momwell.com rage code Rage 20. I also see this concern come in from parents when the behavior is like about hitting or I say biting, but like, I'm sure that there's an age in which maybe biting might raise some red flags, but the idea or that I hate you or just like the things to like sort of lash out at and taking that really to heart, thinking that they even really know what they're saying potentially. Which along with
1: that, again, with the myth would be Like when you ask your child to do something and they stick out their tongue, for instance, or say, I hate you or something else, you know, the myth is that they're misbehaving, whereas often it's they don't understand or they feel uncomfortable and kids, you know, being told to do something can make you feel a little uncomfortable and so they respond in these goofy ways that are so easy to misinterpret.
0: Mm. Well, I'd like to hear more about this, Dr. Catherine, because I do have a little turkey that sticks out his tongue anytime he's given an instruction. And he's nearing more that like kindergarten, school age now where it feels a little maybe less acceptable, like he should know better But what is going on? Well, it sounds cheeky. Uh Oh, he's a cheeky. Yeah,
1: there's no question it sounds cheeky, but I would really caution you how you react to it because kids, you know, just love the power. And if they see you get upset with it, they are certainly more likely to continue it. So for whatever reason it began, it can take on a life of its own Mm -hmm. based on how we respond to it. But you can ignore it which is hard to do. You can comment, oh, I can see you really didn't like that, but you don't have to punish them for sticking out their tongue. Mm -hmm. It's more likely to go away quicker if you just go around it. I can see that made you feel uncomfortable. Then later, talk about it. You know, Mm
0: -hmm. when you stick
1: out your tongue, it makes me feel blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And again, I would just have a little short talk, not a big whole conversation because, again, you give it a whole new life of its own.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Like the naming, the feeling that's happening and like why. We do a lot of that. Like I can see that you're frustrated. And when we're frustrated, we can deal with them in these three ways, you know, none of which on that list is sticking out your tongue or saying I hate you. But we'll sidestep that for now, you know. So it sounds like these behaviors are expressions, really.
1: Well, I mean, again, at the beginning, it can take on its life of its own if they've had a good rise out of you. But at the Mm -hmm. beginning, it can be just... I feel uncomfortable what you're telling me, or I don't like to be told to do something, or I don't really know what you're telling me to do. Yeah. Or it can be, I love your reaction. I'm going to keep trying this. This is great. Mm, like I found a button and I'm going to keep coming back to this one type of yeah, thing. Uh, this is kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Let's yeah. see what happens when I do it the next time and the next time. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Okay. Potty training, major one. And expectations we've got where we need to sort of meet our toddlers where they're at in terms of our expectations of their behavior or their understanding. Were there any other myths or pieces that we left out? I think we can keep going. Uh,
1: power struggles that we have to win a power struggle is a myth. Yeah. You know, the best thing to do with the power struggle is sidestep it, not dig your heels in. Mm-hmm. And... I talk to parents about there being this power struggle pivot point where, you know, it's in your ballpark to pivot and don't pick up the other side of the rope. You can make it fun. You can make a joke. You can give your child a compliment, but you don't have to win the power struggle because nobody wins when you're both, you know, pulling on the two ends of a rope.
0: I think this is interesting because power struggles, I often hear them get a with things like, I don't know, being right or like respect in a situation? Yes. And so I'm curious your thoughts on the links there, like if your child is being oppositional or if they're pushing back, is that disrespect? Is that, what is that?
1: I think it's really helpful to always take a second and just see the situation from a young kid's or toddler's perspective. And so When a toddler, especially a younger toddler, is digging in their heels, often it's because they have that incredible drive to discover their independence. And that's what we expect them to do and want them to do. Yeah. And this brings me back to something else you asked earlier. But at the same time a toddler is feeling that, they also feel the opposite because toddlerhood is filled with wanting opposite things. Hmm. So on the one hand, they want to be independent But at the same time, they want you to hug them and make them feel safe and comfort them. And so just being a toddler is difficult. Mm. And part of that are the power struggles that we get into. And so I think when we feel we have to do it for respect, it's because we're looking from our own perspective and not from what is happening with the child at this moment.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. Seeing our own need to be respected in that moment versus understanding our child's experience in that moment. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly.
1: And that's where it's okay to sidestep it. You don't have to win it. In fact, if you win it, you lose it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is just a mental note out loud here is it's just so interesting how there's so much of ourself we have to get past Mm -hmm. in order to be able to do this in a way that can be attuned to our children, right? Like we got to sort through and kind of push our own stuff out of the way
1: yeah,
0: in order to get to that space sometimes.
1: I think that's so true. Like we parent as we were parented. And if we're trying to do it differently, trying to do it better, we do need to dig into that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about some of the like incredible things about toddlers, because I know that there are many. So Like, what about this stage is fun and enjoyable?
1: I'm not really romantic about the whole toddler stage, so I don't want to romanticize them. But I think at the same time, you can say they are honest beyond Mm -hmm. belief. And there's a wonderful part to that. They're passionate. They're persistent. They're energetic. They're loving. Like, there's nothing like a toddler's love.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they're learning, they're learning what does it mean to be part of this world. And if you watch them, everything they do is so interesting. And I think that part of standing back and watching your toddler is something we don't often do, but there's so much to learn, not I mean in ourselves, but learn about them Mm -hmm. through watching them and seeing them experiment and try things and trying to understand how things work and where they fit in and how they fit in. And I think they're much, much, much more capable than we assume. And at the same time, that doesn't mean our expectations are too low because often they're too high, but its I think we can ask a lot more of them to be involved in really solid, real ways in the family that we often don't.
0: Mm, giving them independence in a contained and safe way so exactly. we can say yes to things and empower them in, in areas where it's appropriate.
1: And not even just say yes, invite them into it. And that's where those tower chairs are so great that, you know, have them working up next to you. Or giving simple chores like, I don't even like calling them chores because they're not really chores, but putting out the napkins or Mm -hmm. taking a Swiffer and making it shorter and letting them use that to clean the floor. They love to be part
0: and helpful of the family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I think about early postpartum versus my toddlers, my boys as toddlers, I think about being exhausted. But I also think about, I guess exhausted in different ways because both are very exhausting. But I think about the way that they slowed me down to see and appreciate things that I would have walked by and not cared about at all. Like I don't care about the snail on the sidewalk, for example, or the things that pull us back into mindfulness and our surroundings, which As adults, we lose so much of that. And so that was a really special thing I noticed that it just slowed me down a little bit to appreciate things around me a little bit more. That's
1: definitely something you could say about a toddler is they show you these amazing things about the world.
0: Yeah. And then also their enjoyment in experiences. I find that, you know, you pour so much into your babies in the postpartum stage and it's kind of a little underwhelming or underrewarding in the sense that you don't get a lot of reciprocal mm-hmm. interaction back from them, right? Mm-hmm. But like your toddler will pick every dandelion and bring it to you and will appreciate and, and be in moments with you and sort of reciprocate it back. And so in that way, I think that it's also a nice stage where I want to say your relationship like deepens a little bit with them during that time because there is more back and forth between the two of you.
1: Plus, they show you their personality then as well. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I'm sitting here looking out in my garden as we're talking, and I'm just having these memories of one of my children when they were toddlers would just go back and forth and back and forth, and I'd be running back and forth for a half an hour. It's just reminding me about that, how physically exhausting that stage was.
0: Oh, yeah. My oldest, we used to call him the blur. Because anytime we would try and get a photo, like at the zoo or anything with his group of friends, he would just be this streak in the photo.
1: (laughs) That was my son. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It is so exhausting. And, you know, not to like romanticize the stage because it is just hard. It is a hard stage. But also... To find pockets of these moments where we really connect, it's kind of like you wrestle these kids to bedtime and you're exhausted and the whole day has been so irritating by the time they're finally in bed. And then when they're sleeping and they're so peaceful, you're just like, oh, they're just so cute. And if it weren't for those moments, (laughs) you know, in parenthood and like with our toddlers where you really just have this, you know, sweet connected moment with them it would all feel challenging. And so it's those little pockets of things I think that keep us going. Yeah.
1: I think also trying to reframe their behavior into, you know, a tantrum is just a toddler acting his age. Like if you say that to yourself over Mm. and over, Mm. a tantrum becomes less painful for you. It doesn't become less painful for the toddler, but you interact with it differently when you see the innocence of it.
0: And their behavior isn't a reflection of how I'm parenting them. Exactly. I think that mums really internalize, maybe parents generally speaking, but the mums that I work with, like, oh, if my child's having a tantrum, it's a reflection on how I've handled the situation in some way. Exactly. It's realizing it's normal, it's healthy, and it's not something I've done. Mm-hmm. All right. Any final toddler thoughts for us as we think about wrapping up? Any reframes? I would say you know,
1: that let's come up with a new term for the terrible twos and Mm. start to use it. I'm Right now, toddler-tastic is about the best I've come with. I'm still working on another term, but I think it's important we stop using the term terrible twos because it just sets us up for problems. My daughter just had a baby and is already thinking about the terrible twos, and it made me realize, wow, you know, we really go into that, Mm. prepared for something bad instead of preparing ourselves for something fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. That narrative is very strong that she'd be preparing herself for it already. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh, but why aren't we preparing her for postpartum and having her like (laughs) supported in her sleep? And I go on my whole soapbox there. but um, She's supported. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like, we need to make sure she's focused on herself in the postpartum and making it through. But yeah, no, I really love that toddler-tastic. And I'm curious, like, if any listeners have different ways that they've reframed it or thoughts or ideas, DM me. Let us know. Like, I'm so curious to know how others perceive it as well. Where can our listeners find you online, learn more from you?
1: So I'm at healthiest underscore baby on Instagram. I have a podcast, Toddlers Made Easy, that's available everywhere. And I wanted to offer your audience a freebie about how to prep for potty training so that you can potty-proof and make it easier for you down the road. And I'll provide you with the link for the show notes.
0: Yes, we'll make sure to link that in the show notes and also your Instagram page and your other resources if they haven't come across you already and they're scrolling because you've got a very popular community. So we'll make sure to link all that through that they can find their way. And appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank
1: you. It's been a real pleasure. And I'm glad to
0: finally meet you. Yeah, me too. Thanks. I took away some really great nuggets from that episode. A lot of parents that I work with struggle with how to get to realistic expectations with their child. So Dr. Catherine telling us to just think of their toddlers as big babies without all of those developmental skills yet helps give us a visualization that might help us to flex those expectations a little bit. As I mentioned, for me, it can really help to take my child's perspective and see that it can be really hard to be little, to not have the vocabulary to express what you need or to feel like what you want isn't being heard or understood. And let's be honest, even as an adult, there are times when I want to throw myself on the floor and have a tantrum. They just don't have a filter and get to follow through on the things that we sometimes think or feel. In all seriousness, if the toddler stage or preschool stage or any parenting stage is really challenging for you or is maybe creating friction or problems between you and your partner in how you approach these parenting decisions, our therapists at MomWell can help. To learn more about the support that we offer and to book a free 15-minute consultation with one of our therapists, head to momwell.com. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by Stephanie Kramer, Chief Human Resources Officer at L'Oreal USA to discuss her new book, Carrie Strong, An Empowered Approach to Navigating Pregnancy and Work. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com learningcenter To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to MomWell.